0: Welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, Arif Dean, and of course, Patrick Stedman, making us sound good. Time to break it down. The last two games, Arif, two ugly games, really, all on a road trip. Both 11 a.m. starts, which was a little bit weird. And really, the worst loss we've seen from the Avalanche since that 8-3 loss to Toronto in early December. So... Um, I know you're on assignment, you're getting ready to cover the Avalanche Detroit game in Detroit, which is exciting for you, so a little fun twist to the podcast that you'll, you'll uh, be covering uh, covering that game from there later in the week, but, um, you know, from your perspective, you're up north watching that game, w- what did you see in that Boston loss? I mean, obviously an ugly loss, something we haven't seen from this team in a long time, but, you know, I, I don't know, I feel like there are excuses to be made. I know it's not acceptable to be, you know, really saying, oh, the... They're gonna take excuses here, but I feel like we can cut them some slack, but either way, let's get into the ugliness that was the loss
1: uh yeah, so let's let's just say let's just say it exactly how it went down. The avalanche got outplayed. they were not the better team. they did not look it at any point. They had a bad first period and had a chance to rebound. I think they were only down a goal, heading into the second period were unable to do that. Uh, they finally made the game 2-1. to one. You thought maybe they have some life. Then Boston completely shut her down. Uh, Darcy Kemper didn't look great, didn't look terrible. Uh, granted, that goal that kind of slipped through his five-hole... Wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. Um, Boston put up 50 shots, which is unacceptable and not something you often see. I very much agree. You can cut them some slack. This is just their 10th regulation loss, and it is February 22nd, and we are 50 games. So that means they lose one out of every five games in regulation throughout the season. Uh, But all things considered... That was a bad game. I'm not going to make excuses for them. It, they they just they didn't look good. Some nights you don't have your legs, and then some nights you have what happened in Boston, which is worse than have not having your legs. So that's what happened to the Avalanche on Monday.
0: Yeah, I know, again, I don't really want to make excuses for them here, but two back-to-back 11 a.m. starts, uh, at least 11, 11 a.m. Mountain, right? there out on the East Coast, mm-hmm. so they really won p.m. starts, I, I think that throws you off. You know, this Monday game at 11, President's Day, it was supposed to be a Thursday game in December. Of course, these are COVID protocol pause makeup games here. So I think there's something to be said for the back-to-back 11 o'clock games when you're a West Coast yeah. team going to the East. So, you know, I think, yeah, I, 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 I cut him a little bit of slack there. But also with Boston, you know, I don't know if you heard David Pasternak after that game, but he basically said that that was the best game that the Boston Bruins have played uh, you know, for a full 60 all season long. So, um, you know, I guess, uh, again, uh, not making excuses for Colorado. They didn't have their A game. And as professionals, you expect them to have their A game. But 11 a.m. starts, Boston really bringing it. Uh, you know, it's all right. You're going to have a loss.
1: It happens and it like it, it, abso- it absolutely certainly does happen. And the Boston Bruins are not a bad team. Like, yes, they're in the second wildcard spot in the East, but they're one of those eight teams that pretty much all but have their playoff spot locked in in that conference. Like, no one's going to really drop out. They're 10 points up on the Red Wings who the Avs play tomorrow, and they have a game in hand and the Red Wings are ninth in the East. So they're a good team. And um, this kind of goes back to the thing that we discussed when we said that the Avalanche are the new standard. Funny enough... They're also the new standard in a different way. They are now the team that when teams meet the Avs and they play the Avs, especially when they've already played them once and lost. Similar to Dallas getting shut out the day of the Super Bowl and then coming up to Ball Arena and, you know, having a much better game and defeating the Avs. Uh, Similar to what we saw here with Boston after they got embarrassed in that game, the way it ended after the Taylor Hall hit and having a 3-1 to lead and all that. The Avalanche are the new standard in the sense where other teams want to have their best games against the Avs. More often than not, they fail. But sometimes, like the Bruins, yesterday on Monday, they they happen to do it, and and when they when you get a game like that against the Abs, when you get fifty shots on them, you score five goals, you beat them by four goals, which has only happened one other time this season in Toronto, that eight to three loss. That's the kind of game that can change your season. So. Let the Bruins enjoy it. David Pasternak, let him enjoy it. Let him kind of see if that can get them going in the Eastern Conference. That has nothing to do with the Avs or their playoff race, and it's only going to affect them if they see the Bruins in the final. So it's kind of funny to look at it that way, where, like, they are the new standard, but they're also the new standard in this way. They expect the best out of themselves every single game, but other teams wake up for games against the Avs. I'm going to use this example. I've used it before. It reminds me when the Chicago Blackhawks were the most dominant team in the NHL for a half a decade— And the Avalanche, for whatever reason, played them good every single freaking time. Like, think back to the 2013 season. The Blackhawks started the year 24-0-2. Their first loss of the year was a 6-1 defeat at the hands of the last-place Colorado Avalanche that went on to draft Nathan McKinnon. They lost to them 6-1, and they got Corey Crawford pulled after five games in a season where Chicago had gone 26 games without a loss. So... Teams want to wake up against the Avs. The Bruins are a good team. They did it. 11 a.m. Just kind of the stars all aligned for them to have that kind of performance. If you're the Avs, you have one duty right now, and it's rebound in Detroit. Like there is no excuses to let this continue. But given the weirdness of the schedule and given all of the factors that play a part, yeah, you can kind of make a couple of excuses here and there. You just don't want the team to fall into a rut, and obviously they're not there yet. But you know if this happens one or two more times, then yeah, it's time to start being a little bit more, uh, raising a little bit more of a red flag.
0: I think we can rest our hat on that. Not happening. I mean, we haven't seen that happen yet this season. I feel like this team just has that ability to bounce back and bounce back in a fierce way. Right. We've talked about the chip on their shoulder. We've talked about how they have a little bit of attitude and a loss like this really does piss them off. So I I can guarantee you that Detroit, while God waiting for Colorado, the Red they might they might be shaking in their space boots a little bit here.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, look, it's tough for the Avalanche to lose two games in a row. It's tough for the Avalanche to lose two games in a row after giving up 50 shots and dropping five one loss in the first game. So, it's going to be tough for the Red Wings to pull this one off. I very much agree with that, and I hope I don't radio myself by the Avalanche going into Little Caesars Arena like getting blown out two games in a row. You know, I don't see it happening, but. This is the exact type of game that the Avalanche have done a great job of rebounding from in the past. The last time we saw them kind of struggle two consecutive games where the two losses to Columbus that, you know, were way back in November, early November, that ended up leading to the four to f- four or five and one start to the season. So since then, they've basically been really great at rebounding, especially from those games where they just play brutal. Like that eight to three loss in Toronto, Jonas Johansson played the entire game. The very next night, they were in Montreal, and I know it's the Montreal Canadiens before Marty St. Louis took over. They were a bad team, but Jonas Johansson jumped right back in net, and the Avalanche defeated the Canadiens 4-1. to So that's the kind of thing you want to see here.
0: Yeah, we of course know that January was an amazing month. February already looking like it's not going to be even close to as comparable <laughs> of a month right but I think you need these kind of games thrown in there there's something to be said for adversity right teaching moments and if they just breeze through the whole season then they're not going to have much to rely on in terms of those teaching moments so it's a great opportunity to say hey we got beat by a, a good team you know we made some mistakes let's figure out how to clean up those mistakes rather than point fingers and be sad and feel sorry for ourselves just move forward and move forward productively.
1: Exactly. And I mean, the schedule right now is weird in in, in the sense where some teams, you know, aren't playing for a week, week and a half at a time. It's because these are all the games. Like you said, these are those COVID pause, the Omicron variant that kind of ran rampant in December leading into the Christmas break that led to a bunch of games being rescheduled, which for the Avalanche were seven of them for some teams were none like the Florida Panthers went 15 days between games. The Avalanche had eight days off. The LA Kings had two weeks off. The Maple Leafs only had three or four. Every team kind of was different in the sense where it just kind of depended on who had games that needed to be rescheduled and who didn't. And now you have games being rescheduled for, like you said, two consecutive matinee games for the Avs, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, you know, local time, 11 a.m. Mountain Time on a Monday, obviously President's Day in in the U.S., so it was a bit of an easier game to have earlier in the day. But this is a little bit of a weird schedule. It's unorthodox. And I think the Avalanche, there's something to be said about the way they play when their games are bunched together. They've been been very good this year on the second of a back-to-back. They've been very good this year in playing three games in four nights. Hell, they had a week where they played five games in seven days and they won every single one. And these are just like unheard of kinds of schedules that you don't often see. But I think this whole weird you know, two, three days off here and there, 11 a.m., 11 a.m., like just the weirdness of the schedule not being the regular routine. There is something, like you said, to be said for that. And there's also something to be said for having a little bit of adversity and being able to overcome it, which, you know, we've seen a couple times this year, but the more the merrier, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, while they're being, while they are professionals we have to just understand that they're not used to playing at 11 a.m. And I, I think that is a huge thing for your mindset, your routine, your preparation and having back to back games at 11. It's just tough to really perform at your best. Uh, and again, I, I hate to be the guy sitting here making excuses for them, but if I'm, I'll take 2-11. it,
1: JJ. You're yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'll take it, JJ. You're usually the guy that's no, a little, no. little more negative. Just, if so let's let's.
0: Well, <laughs> and that's the thing. If I'm playing two eleven a.m. games, I'm going to be extremely negative and saying, "What the hell is the NHL doing to us here? This is uh, eleven a.m. I'm barely awake. I could barely speak English right now, let alone play hockey. So um, I don't know. That's just me, though. Of course, they're pros. They're they're trained for this, and they get paid a lot of money to do it. So n- no excuses. No excuses.
1: Yeah. And we're recording right now. It's Tuesday. The Avalanche play Wednesday in Detroit, Friday at Ball Arena, Saturday in Vegas. They're going to play three games in four days in three different cities. And for whatever reason, I feel a hell of a lot better going into those three games than I did going into Buffalo and Boston, even though they were two games, 48 hours apart, both on the road, both spaced out pretty well. Like this is the team that loves to just win a game and then get the next one in and win that one and then get the next one in and travel, hit a plane, get off the plane, play a game, get back on the plane, go to the next city. Like that's the kind of way they love to play. And that's what we saw last year as well. Like, I mean, going back to Philip Grubauer being asked 7,428 times during the regular season last year, are you playing too much? And him every time saying, no, I'm in a routine, I'm in a rhythm and I love it and the Avalanche loved it too, and Grubby left, and Kemper came in, and he got in a rhythm, and now they're kind of losing that rhythm a little bit, and you're seeing them fall just a tad. You know, they've lost two of their last four. They're two and two now, which for many teams is like, yeah, that's just a regular four-game stretch for the Avalanche. It's like, wait, what? They didn't get points in two of four games? Holy crap. How did they not do that? Like, you know, it's just the standard they've set for themselves this season, but... Again, I'm not worried. Uh, I'm not going to make excuses for the loss against Boston. There's some specific cases surrounding the game in terms of the scheduling that we're discussing that, you know, could lead to them having a bad game, but you don't want to give up 50 shots like that. Regardless, you just got to bounce back in Detroit. Forget what happened in Boston. It's an Eastern Conference team that you're probably not going to play again this year and move on, overcome that adversity and, and just be the dominant team you've been all year.
0: Yeah, and as we know, you know, the schedule is a bit tough for them ahead. They've got f- basically one home game a week for the next 4 weeks, so more yep. teachable moments, more coachable moments, more adversity that they can help, you know, just really generate momentum into the into the playoffs with. But um moving on from the loss, I wanted to get to Nathan McKinnon here for a couple reasons. There's a few things I want to get into here. A he has a goal in each of the last two games, which is nice to see him get back on the yep. uh, scoring horse, right? The second goal, the one against Boston and Colorado's only goal in that game, was a power play goal, right? Two things. It was such a sick two shot. Two things though. I want to point out about that power play goal. A, it's only the second power play goal they've scored all of February, going two for 21 now. That's a 9.5%, Oof. not looking good. But that. That goal that Nathan McKinnon scored, if you remember, I think it was two podcasts ago, I was pointing out how frustrated I was by that exact play because you'd seen them adjust it. It'd been a new tweak to their power play structure, and now you're seeing them do it a lot. But Nathan McKinnon's the only one I've seen actually been able to fire that puck off. I've seen New Hook fan on it. I've seen Kadri fan on it. And so it's an awesome play if it works, but it really seems to be designed just for Nathan McKinnon because he's the only one that can pull that goal
1: off. The fact that you can wire home a slap shot like that, or let's call it a one-timer, like you can wind up and fire a shot like that when the guy that gives you the puck is literally what, two and a half feet ahead of you? Like he's right there. He's just dropping the puck to you. And for you to be able to wire it like that is, it's incredible. Like everything about it just looks so sweet because like we've seen those, you know, circle to circle passes that go from Rant- McKinnon to Rantanen or vice versa, where when McKinnon passes it to Rantanen, he goes down on one knee and wires at home. Or we saw the, the, the sick pass from Nazem Kadri to Gabe Landeskog the last time they played the Bruins to tie the game, where it goes circle to circle. You got to have the goalie going left to right or right to left. And then you just have this open net to shoot at. That's one thing. Like, those are nice in its own, but you can see why those go in. You're going from one side of the net to the other side of the net where it's an open side, it's a six-foot net, and you have a goalie trying to get back in time. But Rantanen's right there, McKinnon's right here. For him to drop the puck just, you know, just under a meter, two or three feet for McKinnon to wire it like that and actually beat the goalie because the goalie's like, wait, where did that come from and who shot that? Like, it is incredible and it's impressive. But obviously, let's maybe, like you said, like, you know, it was a sick goal and it was nice to see it finally work, but maybe let's chill out on how often you use it and, and when you use it, if it's, you know, if it's something that you're going to use every single time, but I don't know what it is about the power play. Something just has felt a little bit off. Uh, that goal felt more like the Avs where, you know, power play starts to get that pressure right away. They get that goal right away, but we haven't seen a lot of that in February and you don't want that to drag on for too long, but it goes back to the theme of what we've been saying this whole episode, you face adversity, that's fine. Overcome it, learn from it so that you can be ready for the playoffs. Right now, it's not about getting wins. It's not about getting points. It's about overcoming certain things and it's about preparing for the playoffs, which is what we heard from Gabe Landeskog when they beat the Canadians and he was pissed off. It's, it's not about the two points. It's about the process leading into the playoffs. This is part of that process, overcoming this power play uh, struggles that you're facing right now.
0: Yeah, it just feels like that play might have something to do with the struggles. They seem to be going hand-in-hand, in in my opinion. I didn't really start noticing that play until the loss against Dallas last week. Um, So I'm not sure exactly how long they've been using it, but that's when it really stood out to me as just being ineffective. And it's obviously ineffective if only Nathan McKinnon is the one that can pull off that goal. But no, I like your point, right? Usually if you see in the highlight notes... Oh Nathan McKinnon slaps home a one- timer from a pass from Miko Rantanen on the power play in your mind you're thinking, oh that was a cross eyes pass, but rather you know this one was a little bit different so you know I, I don't know if I love it it was cool to see it work, but I think they we I think we've seen much more effective power play strategies from this team and they might just have to go back to it. I don't know maybe they're feeling like they got a little bit figured out for a while there um but yeah I, I can't really pinpoint what made the what made these changes happen because I don't see them being that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, games thirty-five to like sixty-two of the regular season are just always going to be a drag. You got to, you kind of got to find a way to like Experiment convince yourself. Yeah, to experiment a little bit and to convince yourself to be excited waking up in the morning knowing that today is game 49 or against Boston game 50 of an 82 game season where you've already played enough games to know that you're going to be in the playoff race and you're a buyer at the trade deadline. But you haven't played enough games yet to be so close to the end where you need to start to ramp it up and you know you know who the one or two teams that you might face as a wildcard team in the first round it's it's that point of the season, it's that drag. It's like mile 16 of a 26-mile marathon where you're like, "Man, I've run all these miles and I still got 10 more to go." Like I'm just stuck somewhere in the middle. And you know, that's kind of where they are right now and, you know, I I don't sense the power play struggles will continue all year because what we've seen for the first 49 games of the year or 40 something before this stretch in February is a team that's pretty damn good at scoring on the power play. Um the penalty kill, on the other hand, has kind of struggled for most of the year, but the power play hasn't. So this is something where it just seems like kind of something that happens throughout a season. You go through these struggles and you just got to find a way to overcome it and not be figured out. Which one you have this much talent? Like, it's it just it can't be the case.
0: Yeah, and I'd just like to note that, of course, that Nathan McKinnon goal started at one point on K.O. Makar's stick. Just a fun little... Like- Fun little Literally fact,
1: every right? goal, the Av score. <laughs> that's every single time the Av score. Kel McCarr has something to do with it.
0: And uh, with that, Nathan McKinnon avoiding a fine or suspension. Not sure if you guys got to see the uh, quote-unquote slash on the linesman. Uh, it seemed to be, and it deemed it was deemed to be uh, accidental. He was trying to slash the other centerman there um, and missed and, and got the linesman. But if, if for a second there, it looked like he made a bonehead play and slashed one of the
1: officials. Okay, so... Everything about that is hilarious to me. So the NHL investigates this. They talk to the on-ice crew and obviously the linesman that was uh, that McKinnon had made contact with to kind of get their point of view of what happened. And the NHL literally admits in that PR statement that they released on the PR account, it's like, mckinnon wasn't trying to hit the lines. Man, he was trying to whack this piece of wood in his hand or whatever the hell sticks are made of these days the composite he was trying to whack this weapon against the leg of his opponent not our official so it's totally fine <laughs> all the while all the while basically admitting mckinnon was trying to take a slashing penalty that we didn't call And he ended up hitting our official instead. Like everything about it is funny in that sense. But it's also one of those things where it's a reputation thing. Like Nathan McKinnon is not known for doing dirty things. I don't know if other guys would have gotten away with that. And I know I'm not saying Nazem Khadrin, oh, he got suspended and that joke is overplayed. Other people would not have gotten that same kind of, uh, uh, you know, favor that McKinnon got, if that's what you want to call it, from the officials. But uh, the intent wasn't there for him to hit the official. It wasn't something where he was pissed off because the official dropped the puck wrong or there was something going on in the face-off, or they were jawing at each other. So the NHL kind of gave him a freebie there and... It was just, again, it was just hilarious to me the way that it all played out, where it's like they basically admitted, yeah, he was trying to slash the opponents. Totally fine. Yeah, hit Hola with your stick. No worries. Just, you know, he accidentally hit our official.
0: <laughs> right. Well, he's not known to do anything dirty. He is known to snap and, and let his wires cross once in a while, right? Now, So come on. Uh, while this one, he, like you're saying, he got away with it. Everybody kind of seemed to uh, see seeing this one as harmless, but, you know, to overreact to it a little bit here, he needs to kind of make sure that he's got those emotions in check, right? You don't want to do something dumb and then suddenly you're out for a significant game or a significant stretch of time. So, um, yeah, I'm fine with it. It's just the intensity that he plays with, and he felt like he was yeah. wronged there a little bit on that face-off, right? He kind of got mauled. Um, so, you know, as long as he gets away with it, whatever. Let's move on.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, exactly. Let's move on. But, it's it's again, it's one of those things where, like, if he was drawing at the official and if they were going back and forth and he was like, fuck you for dropping <laughs> the puck wrong and this and that, and then hits him like... The official is not going to give him any kind of like freebies like he, when he talks to the league, he's going to be like, yeah, he was snapping at me and then he accidentally hit me trying to hit hollow like no way. He definitely hit me on purpose. Obviously, that's not the case. So he was pissed off, but he was pissed off at the opposition, the guy wearing a Boston jersey, not the guy wearing the striped jersey. and And that kind of saved his bacon a little bit
0: it it wouldn't be a surprise if somebody got that mad at a referee in the NHL right I mean the relationship between the players and, and referees is a lot like that not sure if you got to see the clip of the referee that almost told one player to shut the fuck up on his way to the box and he yeah. he left his microphone on for the whole stadium to hear and l- luckily caught himself on the shut the but uh mm-hmm. you know that's just the way it goes between uh players and and a uh, referee so man I'm surprised we haven't seen more just straight up brawls between the players and, and officials sometimes
1: right yeah no it's hilarious they chirp each other all game and then when somebody plays their 1000th game like we saw in Buffalo you got Kyle Lacposo and Gabe Landeskog presenting him with like a commemorative jersey and then you got the, you see these guys kind of hanging out after games and shooting the shit and maybe they go out for beers it's Hockey's a funny sport, man. It's the same thing you see when two guys fight and then they tap each other on the helmet on the way to the penalty box. Like it's 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 one of a, it's one of a kind. The sport genuinely is its own thing.
0: And then the last thing I really want to get to from the Boston game is Nicholas Obeku Bell. It seems like he's in the doghouse a little bit with Jared Bednar. I mean, obviously two out of. Two of three penalties versus Boston. Um, you know, he's not getting as much ice time as normal, just really seems to have fallen out of favor. And this is a guy we love, you know, we we've seen, he brings a lot to the table when he's playing his a game. So hopefully for him, he rectifies this a little bit, but I haven't even really seen him be that egregiously bad.
1: No, it's uh Jared Bednar's challenging this player and, and it's time to see how he's going to kind of respond to that. And, and this is something that Jarrett's talked about all year. It's it's not the lack, you know, it's not his skill. He doesn't lack any skill or anything. He just kind of lacks uh the consistency. So he's about to be challenged by a coach on a team that won a president's trophy last year, is looking to make a deep run this year. And uh we're gonna see how he's gonna respond. Uh, you know, this is the kind of story where you wanna see him respond well to this. You wanna see him earn his stripes and you know, kind of confirm and reaffirm that the avalanche picking him up on waivers was an excellent move. You know, he's had a great season since he's come here. Uh This is just a matter of a coach challenging a player and figuring out how he's going to respond to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, not much I can add. I, I like the way you're thinking of that. And that's the thing, too, is right now as they're coming up on the trade deadline, I mean, there's going to be less and less room in this depth chart, right? So he, he mm-hmm. doesn't really have much wiggle room to be... Acting up, so to speak, because he can be scratched just like that, especially once they bring in another piece or two and, and everybody starts getting healthy here. So, um, yeah, again, I hope he, he figures stuff out because I think he just brings a lot to the table. I love his style of game and he skates so well that at, at times you have to kind of take a double take and make sure that that's Obey Kubel and not Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. At least I do.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of times where I've looked up and I'm like, oh, that's 16. Holy shit. Yeah. He's fast. Like, yeah, no, I've definitely had those.
0: Cool, cool. Well, let's take a quick second to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available, and did you know that they do online wine education classes? I'm going to have to check one of those out. If not, It's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan, Westminster, and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totalbev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. All right, Arif, let's get into this Buffalo game. A weird game. Luckily, the Avalanche came out with the victory, but it, it was looking... Uh, 50-50 there for a second there. Of course, it was a 3-2 first period. Not often that you get to see that many goals in a first period, but just looked like neither team really was prepared to to start that game on time. And again, let's blame these 11 a.m.
1: starts. Yeah, Darcy Kemper surrendered the very first shot against him after shutting out the Dallas Stars and the Vegas Golden Knights in consecutive games. So if you had Tage Thompson as the guy that was going to score on Darcy Kemper, then kudos to you. Uh, he ended up scoring two more times on Darcy. So... Just a very weird game overall. Like, it was 3-3 three to three in the third period, and you're like, the Avalanche got this. Like, this, this is fine. And then they scored the 4-3 goal. They added the empty netter. Um, granted, there was a little bit of a weird play that led to the 4-3 to goal with Rasmus Dahlin getting cracked behind the net by Jack Johnson, and then Alex Newhook having this entire open end of the ice. So uh, you could say Jack Johnson probably got away with one there, and it led to the game-winning goal, but um, just a lot of goals, fun, offensive hockey. And, you know, that's always a win in my books. Not every game's going to be two nothing or three nothing. And you don't want every game to be two nothing or three nothing. Like what made the Vegas game so much fun. And the fact that it was such a low scoring affair was the fact that you don't see that often from the Avs. but you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Oh, so they just played in a defensive game. That was very intense with a lot of hits and Jack Eichel's return And they still came out with a victory. But if you see that every single night, it's going to get boring. It's going to get repetitive. And it's kind of the opposite of what you want to promote in hockey, which is goals. So offense always wins in my books. You're not going to win every single game, one, two to one or three to two or whatever. Um, But it was a strange game. The Avalanche definitely did not look their best. But as we've been saying all season, it, it doesn't take their best to win games these days.
0: And I just think as hockey fans, we overreact a little bit to first periods. I mean, first periods, whether they're high scoring or low scoring, it's just the, the beginning of a game and so much can happen throughout the rest of the game that we, we tend to put a little bit too much, uh, I guess, we, we we put too many chips into the first period, right? And we're always berated with stats. Oh, this team is 25-0-4 when scoring in the first period or blah, blah, blah. But that's the thing. What you're saying, offense always prevails. If as long as the game is still within reach for the "quote unquote" better offensive team, usually they're going to get themselves right back in that game. And as long as you know you're heading into that third period tied, I think the the better team usually comes out on top. And that's exactly what you saw there. So, um, you know, while it was a wild first period, the Avalanche still kind of had control of the game, and uh, you know they just needed to get a little bit more control of of the of the defensive structures that were going on. And I think they were able to do that second period, cal- everything calmed down. And then, like you said, the offensive, the better offensive team prevailed.
1: Yeah. And what whatever was going on in that game, that one, I'm generally like, I'm genuinely going to blame whatever the hell that game was on the fact that it was a very weird early game. Like it was just everything about it was strange. 11 a.m. on a Saturday. After traveling the night before and playing in Vegas two nights prior, like, or three nights prior, whatever it was, like, it was just a very awkwardly scheduled game. I don't know why it was an 11 a.m. game, to be completely honest with you. Like, I don't feel like that was necessary given that they hadn't played in two days. Um, albeit they were going to play in Boston two days later at 11 a.m. or, you know, 1 p.m. Eastern time, but I still think they probably could have had that game later on in the day. But hey, They got the victory, they got the two points, they moved on. I just think it's funny that uh, between that game and the Boston game, which is crazy to say it out loud, the Avalanche gave up 82 shots. Because that's an average of 41 a game, but... In those 82 shots, Darcy Kemper started both games. He surrendered eight goals. And this comes after I pumped his tires for two straight shutouts and getting up to a 921 save percentage. Uh, But what's cool is since it was 82 shots, that's still over a 900 save percentage, despite letting in eight goals over two games. And uh, he only dropped down to a 919. So he didn't completely take a stumble. Um, But it's just really interesting to me that Darcy Kemper started both of those games. I just don't know why... Bednar felt the need to start him in Buffalo is kind of my question.
0: Yeah, I mean, he started seven of the last eight games, right? So it kind of feels like he's starting to lean on him a little bit too much. Sure, it was justifiable when he had those two shutouts and everything was looking sharp, but he seems to have taken a couple steps back in the last two games. He's making those goofy... Uh, he's letting those goofy goals in like you pointed out the weird one that went between his legs and he's just uh n- just not looking as sharp so it, this is the whole point of having a guy like France who's behind there to avoid moments like these and i feel like you know this is exactly exactly what uh he's coach bednar's not supposed to do in uh overriding his goalie here and he's doing a little bit too much it feels like
1: you know, I always go back and I refer, I reference when I asked Jared about the goalie tandem and if, you know, they're more of a 50-50 split now. And he said Darcy's our guy and Darcy's our starter. And, you know, he was brought in to be it. And that's what he is. And Pavel is a good backup. Uh, ever since he said that, you know, I've mentioned this before. Since that game or since the day that he said that, Kemper has started seven of the last eight games. So I get what Jared's doing. On one hand, I get exactly what he's doing. He's trying to show uh, Darcy, you are our guy. You're the guy that we traded a first and, uh, and, uh, Connor Timmins for you're the guy that, you know, might even re-sign with us. You're the guy we're going to go for in the playoffs or go within the playoffs. You are the number one goalie here. However, on the other end, maybe seven over eight games is a little bit too much. Like, I don't know. Again, this goes back to what I was saying. Like, we're at games 49 and 50 of the regular season. Like, we're well in the middle of everything. And you're playing your starting goalie seven of eight games. It just seems like a little bit too much too soon. Um, But, you know, I I say this all the while fully expecting and hoping, I would assume, that Pavel Fransu starts in Detroit and gets one of the two back-to-backs against Winnipeg and, and Vegas. Like, let's start to back off a little bit from playing Darcy too much. Not because he's not the starter, not because he hasn't earned it, but because this is the middle of the season. If you want to ramp things up with him, let's do it in that final stretch and get him guns blazing heading into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, because you could see how he kind of reacts to it here. And considering where we were when we last saw saw Pavel Fransuz, right, he didn't have the best game last time we saw him, but right before that we were all about him and everybody wanted to see more games out of him. So like you're saying, these are kind of the dog days, and just time to figure out some stuff, maybe mess with a couple things here and there, and experiment. So why not go a little bit more 50-50 for this chunk of the season Then, like you're saying, ride ride Kemper, get him hot, make sure he's feeling good heading into the playoffs. Because, uh, you know, I don't exactly think these are huge losses right now, but you, you want to get the team back to where they were in January. You want to get that confidence, not just in Kemper, but the team as a whole, back to where it was. And you don't want it to dip too much. It's okay to lose here and there, but... Once things start to become, uh, you know, trending, that's when you want to worry. So now's the perfect time to shake it up. Give Kemper a break. Let Fransuz carry some of the weight. And I'm sure he won't disappoint because we've seen what he can do.
1: Yeah, for me, I think the biggest thing right now is not to, I mean, for starters, regarding Pavel Fransuz, and maybe this is something that they wanted to do uh, when they gave Kemper all these games as well, is Frankie hasn't had the best you know, last four periods. And that's kind of a really weird thing to target specifically. But in that final period against the Chicago Blackhawks way, way back two games ago that he's played on Friday, January 28th, he surrendered four goals on 23 shots in the third period, which again, that says two things. Number one, he surrendered four goals on 23 shots. Number two, why the hell did the avalanche let up 23 shots to the Blackhawks in one period? But then he followed it up with the game in Dallas, surrendering three goals on 19 shots. So now he's made 35 saves on 43 shots over the last four periods that he's played. Not exactly groundbreaking numbers. Funny thing is, despite that stretch, he still got a 921 save percentage. So he was closer to a 930 before this. But the biggest thing for me right now is, let's get Darcy, or sorry, let's get Pavel some games. Let's make sure that he's not kind of getting a little bit rusty here. Um, all the while still giving Darcy that confidence that he needs to say, hey, you are our starting goalie. We are not backing away from you. I love the fact that they gave him a bunch of games in a row. I just think that now it's time to kind of calm down from that just a little bit to make sure that you're keeping him fresh while still instilling that confidence and that trust in him to say, you are our guy.
0: And again, not entirely pointing pointing the finger at him, from the Boston loss yeah. and the, the no, weird not, Buffalo. not at all not at all because I mean e- even Buffalo didn't even seem ready for that game right I, I look back to that McKinnon goal and he was standing there all by himself for a <laughs> few seconds and he's like all right I guess I'll shoot it if that you guys was, are gonna leave me open
1: yeah that was that was a really easy shot I just think um look if, if if you have anybody to blame for the Buffalo game for surrendering three goals to the Sabres it's the fact that the Avalanche couldn't re-sign Ryan O'Reilly because I mean that is something that you caused I'm just joking because Ryan (laughs) O'Reilly was traded to the Buffalo Sabres. The Buffalo Sabres then flipped Ryan O'Reilly to the St. Louis Blues and got back Tage Thompson. So that's kind of how the world goes around and Tage scores this hat trick against the Avs, his first of his career. But uh, everything about that game was strange. I'm not blaming Darcy here. I just think it's time to play Pavel a little more, like you said.
0: On that note, one last thing I want to get into before we look at the schedule ahead. And uh, that is the... Report we heard of Joe Sackick being at the Montreal versus New York Islanders game the other day. Um, you know, I think with t- Tyler Toffoli being traded, what was it, last week, two weeks mm-hmm. ago already? He's the first domino to fall now, and I feel like a lot of teams are like, all right, let's get this going, let's get let's get some moves. So it was interesting to see uh, that Joe Sackick is was at that game. I definitely think he was watching somebody on Montreal since they seem to be sellers. But how can you say that when they go and beat Toronto like they did the other night, right? Here they are selling off their whole team and they, beat, they, they lay the smack down on the Leafs. Listen,
1: man, anybody that's ever doubted Marty St. Louis in any aspect of his life, <laughs> he's shoved it right up their freaking behind like this is what the guy does he says yeah you're gonna doubt me well i'm just gonna be a hall of famer i'm gonna win two art ross trophies i'm gonna win a stanley cup i'm gonna do all of this i'm gonna win a couple hearts i'm gonna get traded to the rangers i'm gonna win a gold medal i'm gonna lead the rangers to a stanley cup final like this is what this guy does so he heard that talk that they have that people had around him kind of becoming the coach of the montreal canadians and i mean i understandably so the criticism like the guy was coaching peewee and then suddenly he's coaching in the nhl but This is what Marty does, man. But when you look at the lineup for the Montreal Canadiens, the one name that for whatever reason sticks out to me, and I don't know if this is the guy the Avs are looking at, but it's uh, Arturi Lekkanen. He's a left winger. He's got RFA eligibility this summer. He's got 20 points in 48 games. So he is a depth guy, but he's one of those guys that kind of plays a Blake Coleman type of game. He's of that ilk, that very hard-nosed, hard-working type of guy that wins you Stanley Cups. Um and I don't know if that's the guy that the Avalanche are targeting, but let's just say if you're going to go out and bring in a Claude Giroux and if you're going to trade one of your hardworking depth guys in JT Comfer, then maybe this is the guy that they want to replace JT because I'm you know Claude Giroux is not going to come in and do what JT does. Claude Giroux is going to come in and bring more offense to your team, and uh, you know I'm not saying Claude Giroux by any means is is guaranteed to be an Av nor am I saying Archery Lekinen is, but I'm just trying to kind of figure out why and, and and how the Avalanche could make that work. Um, you know, there's something to be said about Joe Sakic being the guy himself at those games because that's a little bit more than when we read a scout sheet and it's like, oh, so-and-so from so-and-so team is here and he's here and he's here, and we kind of like always or sometimes blow it out of proportion. When it's the GM himself, when it's the guy himself, I think there's a lot more to be said there.
0: Doesn't a Alekkanen... Obey Kubel, Logan O'Connor line just oh screamed Jared God. Bednar.
1: <laughs> just pisses you off all the freaking time. That would just be that would, that's the kind of line that wins you a cup. That's your Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, and, and Barkley Goudreau kind of line right
0: there. I like the thought of it. I like the thought of it. But with uh, the Islanders being where they are in the standings, they uh, uh, it sounds like they might be selling as well. Is there anybody on that lineup that might float your boat? Again, I definitely think we're leaning towards Montreal, and that's the reason Joe Me was too. there. But uh, we got at least look at both sides, right? We can't just be so one-sided. I know Chara's is available. I don't think that's a good fit, but just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah. Zedano Chara is about to pass Chris Chelios for the most ever games by an NHL defenseman in, in, in history. And he's a thousand years old. He's born in 1977. So he's, he's about to turn 45 in less than a month here. So that's not the guy, the avalanche are targeting, but I, I can't really see who else they could be targeting from that team. Like there isn't anybody that sticks out to me. Um, but then again, you know, maybe Joe's always got to double check, like, hey, I already screwed them out of Devon Taves. What else can I do? So maybe he's just keeping an eye on them to to figure out if there's another stealth move he can make. But I definitely think it's the Montreal Canadiens, and, and Lekkinen is just the name that sticks out to me.
0: I don't know. Cal Clutterbuck doesn't sound too terrible, in my opinion. I know he's uh, not... such a pain <laughs> in the ass. Exactly. And I just <laughs> love that style of player, and that's what they need for the playoffs, right? So maybe even a Pouliot. I don't know. Now I'm just throwing names out there.
1: I don't know. Cl- Clutterbuck seems like the kind of guy where, like, him and McDermott are gonna fight in practice for some reason. <laughs> like, it's just that's the kind of just guy just for
0: he, fun, he, he,
1: just for the hell of it. Like, not even because they're pissed off at yeah. each other. They're just like, hey, you want to drop the gloves and just pump, pummel each other? Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Go
0: get beers after, right? All right, let's look ahead at the uh, schedule here. Like we said, AVS have what I'm going to claim as a redemption game here against the Wings. They kind of have to you know make everybody realize that they uh they're they're not who we saw on Monday morning and then heading back home on Friday against Winnipeg and then Saturday we got back to backs they're heading to Vegas so Detroit Wednesday on the road Jets at home on Friday and then Saturday in Vegas your thoughts
1: three games in four nights in three different cities starting with the game here in Detroit where I will be covering the game and ending with a game in Vegas where Jack Eichel's already got two goals since the last time we spoke. And I said in a month, he's going to be a different player than he was in that first game. Well, it's only been a week and he's already a different player than he was in that first game. So these are going to be three really good games. The Jets kind of are hanging by a thread. Their playoff hopes are are withering away. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be an exciting game regardless because the Avs aren't playing at Ball Arena as much this month. So any game coming back there is just going to be like a welcome back from the fans. Um I'm excited. I, I love a lot of hockey. I love consistent schedules like this, and I think the Avalanche do too. Like we've been chatting about, starts in Detroit, ends in Vegas. Like it, it doesn't get better than this, man. This is this is the time to play good, and this is the time to rebound from that tough game in Boston.
0: Yeah, and Winnipeg always has a, a pretty good showing in Colorado. They do, right? Yeah. I feel like they March tend to beat Eifley, the Avalanche. Mark Shifley and lot. Blake
1: Wheeler love playing against the Avs.
0: And then the weird part about the uh, Vegas game is already this early in the season. This is the last time we'll see Vegas for the rest of the regular season, hopefully until the Western Conference final here. So it's strange to me that it's going to be that early, but you know, get prepared on Friday for the uh the alternate jerseys and those paper clappers that I know you love so much,
1: Arif. Yeah, those things are just the absolute worst. There's always there's always one guy in that section right below the press box where they're sitting there clap 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 clapping on the frickin' chair in front of them for the first 6 minutes of the first period before they give themselves a headache. And me.
0: <laughs> right on. So yeah, I, I we need to see at least a 2 and 1 record in these next 3 games. I mean, ideally you go 3 and 0, oh, right? But uh, you know, there's some there's some hurdles there. I think the Jets present something tough and Vegas is just a, a growing team that's learning how to play with Eichel and uh, we'll see. We'll see how this Avs team reacts.
1: And let's not consider this Red Wing game a sure thing. I know they're a tough team. They're bad, not the best team right now, and especially compared to the Avs. I mean, they're ninth in the East. Like they're a hell of a lot better than they have been the last few years. But the Avs have had their number for a few years here now. But uh, let's not discount them. But at the same time, um, I, I, I don't want to guarantee that to be a win just because we've seen the Avs lose to the Coyotes. Uh, but I just think it's hilarious to me that. Um, on that note, the Avalanche have not lost against the Red Wings since the last time they played at the Joe Louis Arena. So they've got their number here, but I, I just don't want to radio myself by saying that this is a sure thing victory. So let's just be a little bit kind of cautious with that. But 99% sure the Avs are going to win, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I say it all the time on the hockey show on Saturdays, but New Jersey, Ottawa, and the Detroit Red Wings are three teams that have lost to me a lot of money this year betting against them. Right. Hmm. So they're they beating some good teams, those three teams. And, uh, you know, so they're never, never anybody to look past. But either, no, nobody is. Right. I mean, you saw the Coyotes just beat Dallas the other night. Dallas has been buzzing lately. So, yeah, you got to you got to focus on every game and make sure you're being a pro and getting ready and getting those routines going the way you need them for each and every start.
1: Yeah. And most importantly for the Avs is they've, they've had a little bit of time off since that Monday game because it was so much earlier in the day you know, leading into tomorrow's 5.30 p.m. Mountain start against the Red Wings. Um, And the fact that they got the doors blown off of them by the Bruins, you know, they're going to wake up a little bit with a little bit more urgency here in Detroit. So I'm expecting a good showing.
0: Real quick, last thought for me. Does Fran play Vegas Saturday?
1: I don't know, because I'm going to go back to what I just said a second ago. If, if, If Frankie starts today, then that means he would play two of three. So maybe... Maybe Kemper goes today with a chance to rebound and then Kemper and then Frankie gets the Jets and then Kemper goes against Vegas. So he gets two of three, but it's today or it's Detroit and Vegas with Kemper getting the game in the middle.
0: All right. Well, we'll wait with bated breath and see what happens and see how these uh, lineups and goaltenders are managed. So enjoy the games, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back Sunday uh, to, you know, do our typical Sunday thing and uh, break down some of the last games. We're going to have three to talk about. So... Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Erif, anything else you want to throw out there before I wrap it up like we always do?
1: That's that's it from me. I love three games and four nights. Love it. A lot of hockey coming up, and we'll chat with you guys on Sunday.
0: Right on, guys. Don't forget to check out our Instagram. We're, we're getting better at it every day, not moving as quickly as we thought. But, hey, it's going to be entertaining once we get it full steam. But that being said, thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone, and we out you.